this uh, week and the, the next couple of weeks, we're actually doing a short, short series we call Stories in the Seats. And for many of us, this has become a, a beloved and anticipated time in our year in which we hear testimony from ordinary people about the transforming power of God's grace. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, these words, We were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's a tender verse, and uh, I think the one thing about that is uh, is that the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea of the gospel, God's story, and then his story. And he was able to share both of those things. Well, today we're going to hear really um, about Dejean's story and Linda's story. And I hope that in the midst of that, you'll be able to hear maybe... Uh, the intersection of God's story and their story. And then begin to see that and, and experience that for your own, your own life. We believe that to create a church where there is authentic caring and sharing of our lives with one another, we need to model that in our worship services. And as we see, see God at work in the lives of others, maybe we can begin to see how God has been at work in our own lives as well. So today I have the privilege of introducing a person that really needs no introduction for most of us. He has been a longtime fixture in our community and an anchor in our church body. However, however, for those of us who may not know, Dejean McMartin is a loyal husband, father, grandfather, friend, and mentor to many. He and his wife Linda have been part of the Grundy County community nearly all of their lives and have made an incredible impact through their love for God and love for people. As you will hear today, Dejean and Linda's story, for their one, uh, is, is both of hardship and joy, of surprising pain and amazing grace. So please join me in welcoming Dejean McMartin. Come on up, Dejean. Okay, now you probably, am I on? Yeah, okay. You're probably wondering why I have a suit and tie on. And that's not the norm here at Orchard Hill. But, oh, thanks. <laughs> but the thing, the, those of you who know me really well also know that I hear God speak. And not that you don't. I'm just saying that this morning when I was getting dressed, a voice came in my head that says, you have been set apart today to share my word with other people. I want you to be completely set apart. And so I put a suit and tie on. Okay? All right. Not that I think I'm better than anybody else in here. It's just God told me to do it. Okay? And I've learned there's consequences for not following what he says. Okay? All right. As Brian said, I am D. Gene McMartin. I live on a farm southeast of Grundy Center. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Linda, and we've been married for a little over 50 years. In fact, we celebrated our 50th anniversary on February the 11th. We have five children, four in-laws, 11 grandchildren. I farm with one of my sons, whose name is Grant, and I also manage Grundy Mutual Insurance. There should be, well, you're ahead of me a little bit. The first picture was of Linda and I. And then it, okay, there it is. That was taken on the day that uh, our children had a surprise party for us for our 50th wedding anniversary. 
The next photo should be of the house that we live in. Kind of like that one because everything is nice and clean and can't see any of the fly specks on the house or anything. And the next one then is our whole crew. That Everybody was able to come that day. Even our son that was in Chicago made it home that morning. And, and uh, so they're all there. And then this one is where they all live. <laughs> no, I, I like to have fun, okay? And uh, no, do not, uh, do, don't be calling any of my daughter-in-laws and, and telling them that. But uh, uh, actually, actually the, the closest any of them live to one another is eight miles. So that can any, any way be true. Thank you. I was born in Burlington, Iowa. September 21st, 1946. So to save you having to do some math, I'm going to be 70 years old in September. When I was five months old, my father was accidentally killed while he was removing a steel rod from the back of a truck. As he pulled that rod out of the truck, it came in contact with a high-voltage transformer, and he was killed instantly. He was 22 years old. My mother remarried when I was about two years old and we moved to Grundy County. My stepfather really cared for me and my mother, but he did drink more than she appreciated. In fact, some of my early childhood memories are of sitting on a bar stool next to him in a tavern here in Grundy Center on several occasions. I don't know what her logic was unless she thought maybe if she sent me along he wouldn't drink so much. I do remember that we attended Alice Church of God as a child, and we went regularly, almost every week. I was 13 years old when I accepted Jesus Christ in 1959 as my personal Lord and Savior. I remember we had Holy Week services that week, leading up to Easter, and that I had accepted Jesus in that little country church. When we got home that night, my mother says, tell your dad what you've done. And so I went to him, and he put his newspaper down, and I told him that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. He says, that's nice. And he picked up his newspaper and started reading it again. I also had told my mother that I had been having some thoughts about maybe being a missionary. And she told me that I really needed to be thinking about that, that that, that was a decision that she couldn't support me in. As I stop and think about it, I really was never encouraged as a young person or a teenager uh, in my faith or um, uh, to follow the Lord. As a result of that, I spent 40 years of what I call wondering. Nothing really bad. Uh, just I had that attitude that one hour on Sunday was enough. I guess you would have to liken it to kind of like the, the children of Israel. who they, they couldn't make a commitment to fully uh, follow God, and so God just kept taking them around and around the wilderness until the time was right for them to go across into the promised land. And so I think that's um, a similarity in my life. While Linda and I were dating, and when we were first married, my birth father's uh, family reached out to us to become a part of their family again. After many years of, of um, not seeing them very often, uh, we learned that they were a very loving family. And most importantly was that they had been praying for me all those years. In 1999, I was diagnosed with cancer. 
many of our friends and family sent greetings, called with prayers, and one family even sent a devotional book who had been written by a pastor that was a three-time cancer survivor. During my treatment, I just couldn't understand why I had to suffer. Linda suggested that I pray about it and start reading that devotional book. If it was written by a pastor who'd survived cancer three times, there ought to be some good things in there that maybe would help me. So I did. Oh, by the way, the name of that book is called Proven Promises, and um, Dr. Howard Vanderwell is the author. God used a devotion in that book based on Psalms 31.15 that says, My times are in your hands to help me understand how God uses every situation in our lives. And I'd like to read that for you now. If all the planning for my life were totally in my hands, I'm sure it would all be very different. Many events have entered from time to time that I would never select. There have been disappointments, changed plans, interruptions, sorrows, and sicknesses that I would have deliberately avoided. But I must admit there would also be many blessings, surprises, and growth experiences that I would have missed too. In some of my more immature and short-sighted moments, I wish I were doing the planning. But how foolish to think that way. In the psalm, David finds great comfort in the fact that all of his times are in the hands of the Lord. He doesn't say that in frustration, wishing it were in his hands. He says it with relief, understanding how weak and frail he is. It is important for all of us, therefore, to understand that the number of our days we receive on this earth is not determined by fate or whim, but by God. Similarly, it's important to understand that the content of those days also is in the hands of the Lord. How reassuring. But the challenge, therefore, is for us to trust and obey him totally and to make the most of every day and every experience he provides for us. The more I read that book and prayed, the more things started to make sense. The effects of the chemo and the radiation were making me very sick and my kidneys were starting to shut down. I was starting to think my end was near. Then early one morning, my oncologist came into my room, looks at my chart, says, Good news, Mr. McMartin. The blood tests are back and we've got your kidneys to start functioning again. You're going to be going home soon. He then walked into the ladies' room next to me And I heard him say to her, there's no easy way to tell you this, but all we can do for you is to make you as comfortable as possible for the next few weeks. It was then and there that I realized that God had a plan for me. So I continued to walk with God and to read his word. God sent new people into my life. People who loved Jesus and showed that love to me. Scriptures like Roman 1.12 became real to me. It says that you and I may be mutually encouraged with each other's faith. He provided ways for me to be a servant. Ways that had been there all the time. It's just that I couldn't see them because I had been so focused on me instead of on him. In the fall of that year, Linda and I went to Curcio, which is a Spiritual enrichment weekend that Linda had been trying to get me to go to for 18 years. 
But now I wanted to have a real relationship with my father and I looked forward to going. While we were there, there were people that loved Jesus and weren't afraid to share that love with me. While I was there, a gentleman asked if I had ever thought about being a part of prison ministry. I just laughed and looked at him and said, I didn't think I was worthy to minister to anybody. And besides that, I'd probably freak out when that big iron door slammed shut behind me. I tried to forget that conversation, but God had other plans. You know, kind of like the story of Jonah. I knew in my heart that there was a job for me to do. It's just that I didn't want to do it. You see, my attitude at that time about inmates in prison was that they probably were getting exactly what they deserved. In fact, I went so far as to say that they probably should be isolated on an island somewhere that they could just deal with themselves, and I wouldn't have to. But my attitude would change. God started speaking to me then, but I really didn't realize it. For the next year or so, I was bombarded with things about prison and prisoners. Scriptures that I would read, books that I read, things that I saw on TV, just constantly. God seems to always plan for me to see things and to read about prison. The Lord was changing my heart and my feelings. And I could see that I'd been self-centered and needed to be Christ-centered. If God could forgive my sins, he most certainly could forgive other sins, including prisoners' sins. One day, when a pastor friend of mine and I were having coffee, he asked me if I thought God had any special plans for me to be of service to others. And so I told him about the things that I'd been seeing, about that seed that God had planted and um, was nurturing in front of me. And he told me to pray more fervently about that, and so I did. I told Linda that several times I thought God was trying to tell me something while I was doing my chores. And then one evening when I took a pail to get feed for the sheep, a voice came in my head that said, You feed these sheep every day. Why won't you feed mine? Well, I went in the house and I told Linda what had happened, and it was evident what I needed to do. And so I called the gentleman that had invited me to be part of prison ministry. And he says, Oh, wow, that's great. He says, In fact, we're having a Brothers in Blue weekend in two weeks. Can you be at a team meeting in three days? The rest is history. God took a seed planted by a friend, nurtured it with study and prayer, and then encouraged me with a friend's love and concern. And blessed me while carrying out his plan. When I got to prison, I soon realized that God needed me there to be a good listener, to encourage some inmates, and to be open to those who needed to be touched by the Lord. So I continued to do prison ministries two to four a year, and I do to this day. The joy while I feel serving in prison is just heartwarming and awesome. A few years after I started doing Brothers in Blue, my wife Linda and I also started to teach a class at the Newton Prison. We would teach class every Tuesday night, and we did that a couple couple quarters a year. They would give us 12 new inmates every 12 weeks, and we'd have a class, and we'd become a little family. We often felt on our way home 
that while working with the men each night that, that we were helping to, to learn about God, that God actually was teaching us more and blessing us at the same time. We were a team who learned about love and forgiveness more than we thought possible for the next four years until the state of Iowa closed the program down that we were a part of. Now, if I wouldn't have answered that call, would those prisoners still have heard about him? Absolutely. God would have worked in somebody else, caused them to have the feeling that they needed to go and to reach out to them. But the important thing is, I would have missed out. I would have missed out on the blessing of doing that. I would have missed out on all the things that I learned about God so that I could teach other people about him. Just a huge thing that I would have missed out on because I wouldn't have answered that call. It's not always easy to answer God's call. But when we recognize that and we do answer it, the blessings are so far outweigh any hardships that it's just unreal. I told you that when I was 13, I had thoughts of doing mission work. Well, God didn't forget those plans. A few years ago, I was able to go to Africa with the Mozambique, to Mozambique with the team from Orchard. We all had different things to do while we were there, and it was a very rewarding trip, and I learned many things. One of the things about that mission, though, mission trip that helped me to understand the importance of sharing Jesus with others. And an example of that is this. One day in a small mud church, there was a lady who actually was one of the pastor's wives, shared that when she was young and first married, she believed in the witch doctor's teachings. And she was unable to conceive when they were ready to start their family. And so she would go to the witch doctor and he would offer potions or chants or whatever witch doctors do. And she would do them faithfully, but still no baby. Then she said one day someone introduced her to Christianity and she put her faith in God. Shortly after, she said, I was able to have a child. And she suddenly turned and pointed and she said, and here she is. And there was an adult child standing behind her. Can you imagine the impact that woman has when she tells that story to people that she meets on those little dirt roads that she walks on every day in in Africa? Just think how many people's lives she has impacted with that story. The life expectancy in Mozambique is 43. That's probably why this gray-haired, balding man was such an oddity there. When we put our faith and trust in God, we will be able to face anything that comes our way. Let me say that again. When we put our faith and trust in God, we will be able to face anything that comes our way. That statement is easy to say, but it's very hard to live at times. Will you put up my last picture, please? About six years ago, our middle son, Clinton, passed away suddenly from the complications of acute leukemia. It was very difficult for our family to face no longer having him with us. He passed away just three days after his diagnosis. At the age of 36, he left behind a young wife, a daughter aged nine, a daughter age, or a son aged seven, and another son aged three. 
His world revolved around his family, teaching school and coaching. Clinton taught elementary school for 13 years, 11 of those right here in Grundy Center. He used teaching and coaching as his mission field. He had also learned early in life to put his trust in Jesus Christ and to have a living relationship with him. He was also very active in his home church. He enjoyed having fun with children. He absolutely loved playing jokes on his friends and was a very loving and kind young man to everyone he knew. To compound the loss of our son, my brother had unexpectedly died four months just before that. So do you see why I say it's very hard to live that statement? When you put your trust in God, he will be able to face anything that comes our way. When you face it, you've prayed so hard for healing and it didn't come. When you face that one of your sons is not going to be going home with his young family. When you face that there's a gaping hole in your family circle. And when you face that this is undoubtedly the worst day of your life. Well, it is very hard to face those things. But I did learn that you must put your faith and trust in God because that's the only way you can endure them. You can become bitter and reclusive and blame God and angry with him. Or you can call on him to help you find the answers of how to use those obstacles in your lives. But you need to pay close attention. Satan will also be there. You must remember that he loves nothing more than to plant doubt and anger in your heart. Satan's number one goal is to drive an irremovable wedge between you and Jesus Christ. He finds complete joy in leading us as far away from our Lord as he can. After our son's death, our whole family had so many friends and family members with great faith and love to come alongside us with prayers to keep us strong. God has a great way of placing people like that in our lives. At the funeral visitation, 3,000 people came to share, some standing in a line as long as three hours. They wanted to tell us what Clinton had meant to them and to their families. I remember one boy telling me, Mr. McMartin always forgave, and I know because I needed a lot of forgiven. And there was a lady that came and shared with me. And as she hugged me, she said that she knew of several young men in our community that had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior because of the influence my son had had on their lives. All of that helped. Our Lord helped. And he was allowing me to see he did love me through the acts and words of others around us. When I was asking why, Why did this happen? Why couldn't it have been me instead of Clinton? Why did the Lord call him home now? Well, God provided a devotional for me to read that had a statement from Pastor Chuck Smith that said this. 
Never trade what you don't know for what you do know. So what did I know for sure? I know that God loves me. I know that God loved and loves my son. I know that God loves our family who is still with us. I know that Clinton is well and living in the best place that he could ever possibly be. I know that Clinton loved God and trusted him. I know that God can make good come from bad things. And I know that we'll all be together again in heaven. So if you ask me, why did this happen? My answer is, I don't know yet. Someday I pray that our loving Father will reveal that to us. But I do know I need God more now than I've ever needed him in my life. And we also know we aren't the only ones that go through hard times in our lives. My grandmother had nine children, three of which died all early age. One of them was my father. But she still trusted and loved her heavenly father. A real example for our family. Being the closest in age to Clint, our youngest son, Daniel, struggled very hard with the loss of his brother. He finally spent months writing a book about the experience. It was a healing period for him and also a hope of helping others who have or will go through a similar loss of someone they love. But God not only used that book to help Daniel get through his loss of his brother, but a year later, it prepared him for getting through his own wife having cancer at an early age. She's doing great, and we praise the Lord for that. Our whole family struggled with Clinton's death and had to find ways to get through it with the help of God and our Christian community. I struggled every day that first year when I fed the cows because Clinton had put every one of those bales of hay in that barn that I picked up and gave them each day. There were a pair of gloves that laid by the hall tree in our back entry that Clinton had laid down the last day that he bailed hay with me. And they laid there for over a year because I couldn't make myself pick them up. I don't want you to think that we feel we shouldn't have gone through these struggles. I just want you to see that we are ordinary people going through life and working at keeping a strong faith and trusting our God. So what are you facing? What are the people around you facing? Is your faith strong or does it need some help? What about your family and friends? Do you need to come alongside someone to offer strength and support? Do you have a faith to help you through the really tough times in life? Do you have a strong faith in knowing where you will go when you die? All big questions. But we have a big God, and he is the answer. We need to study the scriptures for answers and surround ourselves with people who have strong faith also. And stay close to our Heavenly Father and communicate with Him often. We've been called to be salt and light to the world. God wants us to be like His Son, Jesus. When people look at you and your actions, do they see someone that looks like Jesus? 
Many of us have a story to tell of God's great love for us and his mighty work in us. We can feel confident to minister to others because of the trials we've been through and how we've witnessed God working in those trials. You need to encourage others and help them with their walk. You know what? If we knew the cure for cancer, we'd be running up and down the street so nobody else would have to die from that terrible disease. When we know something much greater, we need to tell others about Christ so that they won't have to die a spiritual death. My grandfather's favorite verse was Psalm 71:18. Even though I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord, until I have the opportunity to share your great love of the next generation and all who will come to hear. My grandfather believed that verse sincerely. God allowed him to see that all nine of his children and 19 of his grandchildren had accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior before he passed away. What a blessing, huh? Our church mission statement is helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. So with that in mind, I will leave you with this statement from Craig Barnes, former pastor of the National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., What we need is not all the missing pieces to life's puzzle, but enough courage to live by the clear insights we have. Our lives have been placed in the midst of personal relationships in which we've been called to love. We've also been placed in a dark world that's desperate for light. There's no question about what we should do. The real question is, will we do it? God's people said, Amen. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And um, so, D. Jean, thank you for showing us uh, what that means. And um, I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Thank you. Father, I thank you for my brother, um, D. Jean and Linda and their family. God, I thank you that you are a God who is uh, a father to the fatherless a friend to the brokenhearted, one who walks with us and uh, shapes us into the people that we become. And Lord, you have uh, spoken through your servant here this morning. Um, We thank you for his testimony. We thank you for his love for you and his love for people. And God, thank you uh, so much um, for his witness here today. Lord, I think of those uh, in our midst who are struggling, maybe dealing with pain or loss. Um, May you be with them. God, and, and Lord, as uh, D. Jean encouraged us, may we be people of faith and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.